Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Chris Lake, and you're now listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture. Hi there, everybody. I'm pleased to welcome you to another episode of the House Culture Podcast with me, your host, the managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. Thank you for taking the time to seek us out and press play today. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. And if you're a fan, please remember to do all that good stuff for us by loving, liking and shouting from the rooftops about this show. We couldn't do this podcast without your support. So please keep spreading the word. But if you're new here, thanks for joining us. We are House Culture, a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. The main event is over on Instagram at HouseCultureNet, so make sure you follow that as well so that you can rub shoulders with over 165,000 other party people from the world over. This season of episodes has been our biggest ever, so if you haven't already, please flick through our incredible back catalogue of episodes featuring club culture conversations with legends such as Todd Terry, Roger Sanchez, Judge Jules and Paul Oakenfold. Even further back, you can tune into the musings of new school innovators like Josh Butler, Amsterdam-based artist Luke Van Dyke, or dons of progressive house like Dave Seaman, Danny Tanaglia and Nick Muir. There really is something to suit all tastes. And even if you don't recognise that name, you should dive in to hear what is always a fascinating story. Speaking of which, let's hear from this month's guest, who is none other than DJ, Grammy-nominated producer and Black Book label owner, Chris Lake. In our chat, Chris tells us how he first discovered the dance music that he loves. I went to the bar that night and then there was a private party next door in the club. The DJ that was playing was playing Progressive House. And I was like, what the fuck is this? This is amazing. How he operates when creating in the studio. I tweak things to death. I listen to sections of songs and just really try to make sure that transitions and, and sections move between one another and, 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 and just invoke the feeling that I intend. I know how I want things to feel and I'm relentless. I'm absolutely relentless in not stopping until I achieve that. And what prompted him to make the move out to the US? I was getting a lot of work out in America. There was there was traction happening with my records and I, I really enjoyed the attitude out here. Just felt like you could do whatever you wanted to kind of accepted I, I enjoyed that I'm honestly doing shows right now I never ever thought I'd be doing and, and having influence in a way even that I, I never thought I'd ever have it's unbelievable it's mind-boggling it's great fun so I hope you enjoy this one this is Chris Lake house culture 
Hi, Chris. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the House Culture Podcast today. You're from the UK and now reside in the US. You've played all over the world, headlined festivals and released many anthems. However, we always like to roll it back to the beginning and ask, where did you grow up and how did you first discover music that you loved? Well, thanks for having me. Um, all right. Well, this is all the easy stuff. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm English. I born in Norwich, Norfolk. Mm-hmm. Um, lived there. I'm, I'm, I'm always I'm always a bit vague on the years. I think I lived there till I was about 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember I just started becoming a rebellious little shit of a teen. And then I left and then I kind of like became a bit better behaved Then moved to Northern Ireland. Uh-huh. And right before I moved to Northern Ireland, I just started uh, taking keyboard lessons like you know like the, the like the organ kind of lesson so the okay. two-tiered keyboard with the with the foot pedals yeah with the bass pedals and um so i went to the like the technic school of um you know school of music and, and learn learn some so that was my like first introduction to music there then um and then moved to northern ireland stopped doing music I was there for a year and then moved to scotland mm-hmm. when i was 14 or 15 and uh yeah lived there for like 10 11 years something like that then moved to london yeah now to la yeah um and here we are no way see i mean a tour of the the british isles to begin with yeah yeah i've been about i mean the only one i haven't been to is wales um <laughs> uh, but you know because because of the point in my life when mm. i moved yeah it's absolutely destroyed my accent i sound like a complete mongrel <laughs> you know like in accent terms it's like i think about it like with, with dogs you know it's like when a labrador breeds with a poodle yeah you know yeah. i've got a bit of a labradoodle accent <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah, english people english people know there's something up scottish people think i'm english yeah uh, uh, americans think i'm australian of course uh, i just know that i sound completely fucked up <laughs> so let's call it international yeah yeah well you know if you do listen back you know don't be afraid of hearing your own voice it's uh oh, i mean i'm used to, i'm used to it now i've done like i've heard it so much and i'm like oh god i'm just used to being a mongrel <laughs> cool i mean and so when you were traveling around you said you you know you learned the organ and you know what was what was that influence then was it you know did you have musical parents and music was always on in the house what how did that come i didn't about? have musical parents but mm-hmm. i had uh musical grandparents so mm-hmm. um my grandfather on my father's side he played the organ in the in the church actually mm-hmm. um it's kind of like his hobby he was very good at it he was he was, he was very talented at that and uh, i remember going up you know i used to when i when i'd go over to my grandparents houses they, they both had uh essentially like the, like the modern versions of the church organs yeah i don't even know what they're called but anyway i, I used to go over there and I, i'd always like you know mess around and learn how to play and, and so my grandfather on my mother's side he was um he had a slightly more interesting story he was he was a saxophonist in the 50s and 60s with um in like this quite prominent band in Birmingham I can't remember the name of it it'll come to me it'll anyway to there me. was this band that he was in mm. and they you know they they had they had records on vinyl and stuff like that he was the saxophonist in the in the band and um at one point they were they were out in Hamburg mm-hmm. in Germany performing uh, on the same night as the the Beatles no with way. the when the Beatles were over in Germany performing, this is when uh, with with the original yeah. members yeah. Uh, before before they had the, the change of um, I can't remember I can't remember the names of everyone who changed, but anyway, um, it was a nice little claim to fame. <laughs> but after that, he kind of like you know the sax the, the saxophone playing became a just a, a hobby, you mm. know, and he got on with the rest of his life. But anyway, there was like this there was this musical influence. I'd used to go I used to go over to my grandparents' houses and play around with the keyboard. But it was my grandfather, the one that played the saxophone. He was like, I think you've got some uh, I think you've got some talent, and he encouraged my mother to to get me to go and do those lessons. Yeah, yeah, and that's when things really started to kickstart. You know, that the, they 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 began, and I. Essentially, when I was when I was when I was doing those lessons, I, I ended up doing like live performances and stuff. And I was much better at the performing than I was at any of the, the practical stuff. I, 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 was, I was slightly I, I was kind of I, I was a bit unconventional with pretty much everything I did. Mm. Didn't follow all the rules of what they were teaching me. But I, kind of, I guess I had my own flair anyway. 
when I moved, I stopped doing that. And then when I got to Scotland, I started took music up as one of my options for the, you know, for the GCSEs. GCSEs, yeah. And there I met a friend who was making music on keyboards and synthesizers. And I just thought it was like the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. I realized that you can actually make your own stuff, make your own sounds. And, <laughs> and that's when I started like trying to learn about music and yeah. uh, try to understand this, this whole world. So this would have been in the like, like 90, mm-hmm. I guess, 97, 98. So I, got, I picked up future music and computer music. That was my, that was my whole thing. And, <laughs> uh, just like dove, died, you know, just like dove in headfirst to music production, realized yeah. I need money to buy equipment, mm-hmm. started getting jobs as a teenager to, uh, you know, during, uh, during all my school holidays and, and weekends and that to, uh, to start making money to to buy synthesizers buy mixers and things like that because it wasn't like buying a computer and then just putting a bit of crack software on your computer and, and getting going it wasn't quite that time mm. so I invested into making music and you know just got it just got going yeah. you know just essentially invested in this little uh this little hobby that then started building some momentum and, yeah. And here I am. And here you are. Many, many years later. So. <laughs> yeah, where well, it all paid off in the end. I mean, so you know, you're you're in Scotland, and you you you've, you're like fourteen or, or whatever you said. And you, you're getting all this equipment. And you're getting all this stuff together. So it's very much like you were well into that kind of production bent before you had like a clubbing life. I mean, where did the two kind of collide? <laughs> and and did you, when you first went out, kind of clubbing and having that experience with electronic music, did you get inspired? I'm trying to think how I could explain. How best to explain it, but I, I just I didn't have that kind of like that that necessarily stereotypical clubbing experience like a lot of people did. Mm. I lived in a really really rural part of the country. For me to for me to go to events was a lot of effort, a lot of a lot of travel, uh, a lot of rallying of the troops. <laughs> not, not, not particularly that hard when you you know when you're young, but. Uh, you know, for, for, if I really wanted to go to really good club nights and that, I I, I drove down to Glasgow or mm-hmm. Edinburgh. That was a three-hour drive. Wow. No one enjoys that kind of travel, <laughs> you know, like at any point. And that 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 was, uh, you know, but that wasn't until I was really eighteen and I would drive down to Colours and the, the Arches and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. that was like my, they were some of my really good experiences. But like I kind of I essentially learned about dance music in like this sort of almost this uh voyeuristic kind of way i i I was on message boards and i would just try Mm -hmm. to learn and understand what was going on in the scene in other places i just tried to like read about it and visualize what it was about and try to understand it and that that was really what that that was that was how i started so i I started on there was two particular message boards that i was on all the time Mm -hmm. huge tunes message board Mm -hmm. A classic kind of this trance record label yep. if you you know looking back on it um and um the global underground of course yeah global underground was huge yeah so. yeah yeah i think we're a similar age so yeah <laughs> yeah 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 so you know exactly what i'm yeah. talking about so i was an opinionated fuckwit that just thought you know um you know kind of like developed that sort of highbrow most things are shit unless sasha and digweed have done it you <laughs> yeah. know kind of thing <laughs> I think that was just the GU board all over, really, wasn't it? That was the GU board all over, yeah. and and um, and that kind of defined who that defined everything that I I I loved and wanted to do when I like in the early two thousands. I just wanted to. I, I thought the coolest thing to do was to try and make records that Sasha and Digweed would play. <laughs> That's what I did. It well, indeed, yeah. I mean, you know, so so you, you said you had that kind of voyeuristic view. I mean, we've spoken to loads of DJs and producers on the podcast and they have this kind of through line of, you know, going to a club, having that experience, getting some decks, getting some momentum behind their career and then going out and getting gigs and things like that. But this was, I take it, you were maybe producing more and trying to get your tracks into the hands of these people you admired? Okay, so this is the this is the... The, the one thing that I didn't mention was that soon after that, mm. I started DJing. I, mm. I did start DJing. I started doing like um, underage events in my local area and I'd play, you know, pop music and stuff like that and try and feed in like my, my uh, the dance music that I was listening to at the time that mm-hmm. wasn't particularly, you know, it was like the, the, the dance music for the commoner at the time, like the, the, for the common ear, like um, not the commoner, the think of it like ministry of sound kind of dance music like yeah. uh atb yeah 
a.m. till I come. Dario G, that kind of like yeah, 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 yeah. All yeah, of yeah. that sort of yeah. all of that sort of stuff. That was like so when I when I was uh, at the time, what I was doing was I was I was essentially I didn't really know how to write original music. I didn't uh, so I was kind of trying to recreate all of these like dance tracks that was that was all i did i just tried to recreate sounds and try to create recreate the feel mm -hmm. that's how i kind of that's, that's how i got started in music that's what i was doing early on yeah. um but yeah i was djing and then i remember i i was i was i was a dj at this local club the club was connected to a bar and and i, I on, on this one night there was a private party so that i went to the bar that night and then there was a private party next door in the club mm -hmm. and i peeked in and like the the dj that was playing was was playing progressive house <laughs> and that was the and i was like what the fuck is this this yeah. is amazing it's like and when i say progressive house like for anyone listening now i'm talking like prog as in the the gu kind of like yeah. the, the gu board kind of prog it's like it's not i think when when people say progressive house now they think of like um hardwell and um and like the kind of like the edme sort of like progressive it wasn't that Anyway, so um, I just I thought this is unbelievable, and I remember going up to the the guy that was playing, who's now one of my lifelong friends. It's mm -hmm. um, like, hi, I'm I'm Chris. I'm a my music producer, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'd love to I'd love to give you I'd love to set like send you a demo, and uh, and uh, and it turned out he was a, a head butcher at the local Safeway, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And, uh, um, and he was just DJing on the side, and and, and I remember dropping. I remember taking a demo tape to him in uh, the Safeway. I haven't mm. thought about it years. It's really funny talking about this, and uh, dropping off a dropping off a demo to him at uh, yeah. Safeway, and uh, then him contacting me a little bit later. We became friends, and then he kind of like, you know, he sort of like showed me the kind of like showed me the way, and like introduced me to a load of like this this music that I'd never really heard, and that's how I got into the whole yeah. Uh, I, like I want to know more about this so that so the way that I learned about that was I went onto the internet mm -hmm. on my dial-up internet and went onto the message boards and tried to learn about this music so yeah that's, that's how that's how I got into it yeah I mean and, and this was an era obviously before like social media before like you had to really dig for this stuff and to find those communities online to be able to you know these people are listening to what I like and you know to go yeah. in there and and learn about this and you know then you have to have that persona as well, you know. It's, you have to shout very loud on those boards to get noticed and to have an opinion. And yeah, well, it was that's actually how I first got noticed. Mm. That then I got uh, there was a guy that was working. There was a guy that was working with Huge Tunes at the time, uh, Bobby M. Bobby, uh, I, I don't actually remember exactly what he was doing, mm. but he approached me about. I posted some some of my demos on the Huge Tunes message board. And he responded, says, I really like these. I'd like to, would you be interested in being managed? I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Let's crack on. This is amazing. I've made it. Um, and, uh, you know, couldn't believe that people were like taking, pay, paying any attention to what I was doing. And, mm. and uh, off the back of that, I ended up getting the, uh, one of the demos that I'd done was called Santiago de Cuba. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, that was played to Red Jerry, who was the, the, the A&R, the head together, the owner of Huge Tunes and the, yeah. the A&R. And, uh, and they said they wanted to sign it and put it out on Lost Language. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I'd lost the project for the song. Oh, shit. And I had this render. I I, I, I spent months trying to recreate it. And I I, uh, I just, I was like, oh, fuck it. I, I had this 192K MP3. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to convert it to a WAV and then just submit it. And that's, that, that, that's what's released. Uh, oh, my God. No way. That's what's released. That was my first. I, I was like, I'm not missing this opportunity. Mm. Um, I'm not missing this opportunity. So I, I, I took my opportunity. I just submitted the 192K MP3. <laughs> um, and that was that, that got me started. So that, yeah. that kind of like that was my first original song. I remember making that with my MC505. and No way. Roland MC505 and my, uh, you know, my all the all these other synthesizers, but that was mostly made on that. Yeah, actually, I think I was I was starting to use computers. I was starting to use computers to record by that point, mm. and that was half the problem. I didn't really, I wasn't very good at using all the, the all that software, and I just like <laughs> I wasn't backing things up, and it all 
it all went to shit. But anyway, yeah, that that was the first song. Oh man, so ask me another question. Give me more direction. Yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so in, ter- in terms of like having that released on Lost Language, obviously Lost Language was like the subsidiary of Huge, wasn't it? It was like a bit more, I suppose, a bit more yeah. progressive. What was that moment like when maybe you went somewhere and saw someone playing it, or someone told you that someone had played it, or anything like that? Was there any? Yeah, it was just nice. I think that was, you know, that that's really at the core of everything that I've ever loved in the scene. I, I, I like, um, I just like making music that just that gets <laughs> reactions from people. I've always loved it. It's, yeah. it's, it's nice. I still connect to that feeling, mm. uh, very, that, that feeling exactly today, you know, to music I made yesterday. It's, yeah. it's exactly the same thing that I'm looking for. It's sort of like at the at the core of my, um, my drive and my values. It's just fun. It's really fun. Yeah, you know, it's an unquenchable fire. It's, you know, it's, that's what always should burn. It's like that creativity is something it should always stoke. But at the, at the root of it, it's kind of, you know, it is, it's quite selfish. A lot of it's for me. I, I like it. It fuels me. But I also like the, 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 the beautiful side effect of it is it comes from making people happy. Yeah. It's yeah. great. It's nice. It's, it's, it's a, well, I think so. <laughs> I, hope, I hope it makes more people happy than it makes people go, <laughs> you know but anyway i'll never i'll never know i'll, I'll, I'll focus on the happiness side indeed it. indeed and so i mean for me like you know we've talked about like the gu board and things like that and you know you certainly came to my attention like back in it was about i think it was like 2002 and you did like the re-edit of the prodigies climatize um yeah. you know and that was before things like soundcloud existed and stuff like that and i always loved that tune on fat of the land that album and i always thought there should have been like a dancier version of it all right so i'll tell you the story about that one i i do you know i, I don't i don't remember all of the details but i remember what it resulted in mm. i had a i had a distrib i, I kind of had a bit of a like a hooky distribution thing going on with uh for some of my bootlegs i was making i was making quite a few of them at the time mm-hmm. And I remember, I think must that record must have got some radio play. And I remember, I I know that I'd seeded a copy of it to Sasha Digweed. I I'd, I'd, I'd yeah. seeded it to some of the main DJs that were playing, and it was a, and and it got it got absolutely rinsed by all of the main headliners at what was the big festival at the time? It wasn't Homelands, yeah, Homelands and like Creamfields mm-hmm. and, and like. Like it was, there was only a few festivals at the yeah. time, around about that time. But it was like the main festivals that were playing. That song got rinsed. And uh, anyway, we, I contacted that, that, that distribution, and I paid for, I paid to get a load of, um, I, kept, I paid to get a load of copies, uh, copies of that record made, and I got, uh, I got them shipped to my house up in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And I remember we ordered three thousand copies. Yeah. I don't think this rings any bells if you had a copy because we said on the copy on the record. Does it say a thousand? One of five hundred. One of five hundred. <laughs> I've still got my copy downstairs somewhere. Oh, I'll have right, to dig okay. it out. This is the thing. That copy was so we we sh- I I remember this. We sh- we we had we, we got them all shipped to the house and we th- we didn't pay for the labels. I remember I to save money because my father at the factory that he works at he had a label maker. So to save money, we got them all shipped to the house and then we um, made the labels at my father's factory and we all sat there, met my family, and we all labeled up the records ourselves and then um, and sold them directly to 10 record stores. And we sold all, I mean, I remember like uh, hard to find, mm-hmm. I swear hard to find records, they bought 2,000 of them just alone. Yeah, which is a lot. That was a, that was a lot of yeah. that was a lot of records. If you were selling, if you were selling over a thousand records, it was pretty un- unbelievable at that time because no one was buying music. Nobody. Mm-hmm. It was all like it just it just it was really really hard. I would, that was one of the most unfortunate things of like the era era that I came up. I missed all of the all of the financial ability to sustain yourself through only making music. Yeah, it all went to shit. <laughs> through. It all went to shit, and um, it's kind of like a. Yeah, it's fucked. <laughs> well, I was really happy that I could make anything. So yeah. I sold all 3,000 copies and it was really, really popular and it was really fun. But I I, I have, I like, it's, it's one of my fondest memories of being sat there in the living room with my whole family labeling up the records and then shipping them out to the record stores. <laughs> but I actually, I got called up, I remember calling up all the record stores and trying to, uh, and getting, and making the orders for the, like, how many, how many do you want to buy? Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's just, 
hilarious that there's there is i should have bought it in the room here and uh shown it to you that would have been a weird serendipitous moment that it's all come full circle um so i mean so after that like that was 2002 obviously it had blown up it had been absolutely rinsed like what was the next step for you you know obviously in 2006 when like changes came out that was like felt like the big moment like your arrival would you yeah. agree with that yeah, that was that was that was the uh, that was the moment where everything started becoming legitimate. Before that, I was fucking around, to be honest with you. But in that period between climatize and um, and that point, I got a little bit lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, actually that guy, the original guy that I told you about, Bobby, I I, I, I um, he actually ended up he passed away many years ago. He uh, um, stopped stopped working with him, and um, I, I I basically I was I wasn't being managed and because uh, I, I wasn't really working very efficiently or anything and uh, mm. I, I got to this pivotal point where I'm like I need to get my shit together and I'm, I, I gave my and, and about a year before that changes record came out I gave myself a year and like I, I said to my friends and family I'm like if I don't make something significant happen with my career here um, within a year I'll pivot and I'll pursue education and a career you know mm-hmm. build, build something more tangible and so I started working really hard. And at the time I was working at, I was uh, as a postman, um, the post office. I did that for three years. I was doing that for thirty-two hours a week. And uh, and so in, in all the off time, I was just working really hard, just trying to make music. And that's mm-hmm. where I made. Uh, there was a brace of records that really got my attention. There was there was changes, uh, release one too many, and uh, fantasy. I think. Mm-hmm. And that was where I started. That's, there were there were tunes where I started uh, rising music to release my own music. I signed changes to uh, Alternative Route, Desert Masiello's label, because he wanted to put that on his uh, compilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got a manager. I started working with Dean Wilson, um, who's now at um, Seven Twenty Management, founded Three Sixty Management, and was with the company that was responsible for uh, myself. Dead Mouse and Calvin Harris. Yeah. Um, uh, so, started working with him, and um, and things, you know, things really just like spiraled off the back of that. That's where I started becoming professional. But still, I mean, like I look back at it, and I didn't, you know, I was just still that kid that was like still trying to like look at things from a distance and trying to understand what the fuck I was and what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, visually, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I didn't know what I was presenting to the world. But the one thing that I, the, the one thing that I felt I was always pretty good at was just making the music. Yeah. yeah. How I was presented to the world was pretty fucked. Um, I'm definitely a lot better at doing that now, but um, yeah, but things, you know, that that's where, that's where I really started internationally touring Mm -hmm. and I I haven't stopped since. Yeah. So, you know, to go from that kind of, like you say, like being a postman, bit of a wide-eyed kid still and then you know huge you're traveling the world and playing these gigs and whatever you know was there ever a moment where what thinking back like what was a real kind of holy shit moment for you i mean there's been loads of them um <laughs> specifically around that kind of era where it's kind of it really started to take i off. think it was the i think you know getting getting a record in the top 40 and it was great i mean looking back on it look i, I i've been there's been moments where i've allowed uh, external influence to kind of um to guide me to do things that I probably just naturally wouldn't want to do. For example, like the getting the vocal on changes was mm-hmm. absolutely not my idea. I, I definitely did not want to do it and I didn't feel comfortable with it. I never loved the idea of putting a vocal on there. I completely think that that vocal works, but it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, but it's not the, um, it's, it also doesn't give the, it doesn't give the, the, the same, the same feeling that the original did in its instrumental form that was like the that was that was the most that was how i intended it to feel but um but anyway you know that happened and then you know over time i learned how to do those records myself and write those vocals myself yeah um you know but that's just that's just evolution so but that that was a really great moment like getting you know doing my first major record deal and or, or signing, you know, fi- signing a single to someone, and uh, so I did that to Apollo, which was uh, Universal, I think, and uh, you know, getting my first big advance was, was, was huge for me. Mm-hmm. You know, what did you buy with it? Well, I got, I got, um, I got twenty five grand for it. I got twenty five grand for the single, which is really annoying because there was another, there was another offer on the table from Ministry that was far, far bigger. But there was a, <laughs> but the label owner, um, the label owner for um, for alternative, the label. 
manager for Alternative Route had a really good relationship with Apollo and she really wanted to go with um, go that route. So I went along with it. And um, so anyway, I got, I bought, uh, I paid off my student loan. Mm -hmm. I cleared the debt on my car and I put a down payment on the house. Very sensible. Yeah. I left off the back of it. Honestly, yeah. I, I like I, I have. I, I've, I've been I've been pretty sensible with this stuff. So <laughs> I think cool. And I mean, you know, obviously we're talking about that changes of like two thousand and six. You know, it's twenty twenty three now. So you know, what like how has your production process changed over that time? You know, is it is it inconceivably different from like where it was back then to now, or do you still hold some things dear in terms of i love this bit of equipment i'm always going to use that mentally i'm the same but i mean yeah, I, well, I didn't use ableton when i was you know when i when i first started i, I just rinse ableton now I, i'm very very quick i kind of i used to only work in a studio now i kind of it's funny i was just, i was talking about this last night with my friend downstairs uh, i worked yesterday and i must have worked on 10 projects I'm not kidding. I was just like hot swapping between like different things that I'm working on, making little adjustments. Yeah. And I did everything in my echoey kitchen <laughs> on the laptop speakers. No way. <laughs> and I made final mix adjustments and rendered out the track and submitted it to a label. Wow. I didn't even check it on speakers. <laughs> 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 like it's, it's just weird. I that that that's different. I, that, that's how, that's kind of how I you know I, I work like that now, and I kind mm. of. Uh, I trust my ears i trust my you know trust my environments and, yeah and yeah all. yeah and like having that trust in I, know, your... I know what i'm doing there was yeah. a lot more guesswork before i was kind of like you know i, ha I hadn't done my ten thousand hours or you know I, I i feel like i it's ironic i feel like i, I really hit the point where I, I felt like i was i knew what i was doing about 10 years ago mm -hmm. i remember hit i remember when i hit 30 and i was like okay something's changed here like this is starting to click yeah it really started to feel like you know, I, I've moved into a different phase. Well, you're talking about listening to new material there that you're making and trusting your own ears and having that, you know, that trust in yourself and that confidence. Um, you know, how are you when you're dealing with that new material? Do you like to road test it and tweak things after the fact or do you just finalise it and like, bang, it's done, it's out? No, 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 no. I tweak things to death. Yeah. I really do. Um, and it's... Uh, it's a strange, uncomfortable process. <laughs> I find it quite emotional, actually. Like not not in like a like I'm gonna break down and sob kind of thing. But I really like I, I just I listen to sections of songs and just really try to make sure that transitions and and, and sections move between one another and 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 just invoke the feeling that I intend. And I, I, that's one thing I've got. You know, I can recognize in my older music that I I was kind of like starting to become in tune with and now i've just got like now through the better understanding of technology and how to use it and yeah um i've learned how to accentuate those moments and things the the the, the feelings that I, I want to portray in my music and and uh, and execute them but essentially i i know how i want things to feel and i'm relentless i'm absolutely relentless in not stopping until i achieve that mm-hmm and it's a miserable process. <laughs> it's a fucking miserable process. It really is. I get really pissed off in this room sometimes trying to trying to pursue it. Mm. However, I do think that it um I do think it separates me from quite a lot of people where in my opinion maybe it's just cuz that's what I focus on, but I I it's it's, it's sort of like detail that I I think is absent in a lot of people's work that would be in a similar space to mine. Not everyone's, but like a lot of people's. So, I, you know, it's just something I put a lot of focus into. So it's when, I, especially when I have a lot of faith in the idea, mm -hmm. I put a lot of effort into trying to execute it exactly the way that I want to do it. Like you say, if it's it's a miserable experience if you're hot swapping between loads of different projects as well and like continually tweaking and tweaking across multiple different things. I mean that that's not necessarily so typical. It was just what just how it ended up yesterday. I was absolutely on one. I was like, I've got, you know, I've got, I've got I, uh, the other thing is I've got you know I've got quite important shows coming up. I, mm -hmm. I I have a reason to try and get things finished. So um, it's given it's given me a bit of urgency to try and make things happen. Yeah, yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. So when when you're working as well, you've obviously done some collaborations over the years and worked with people like Armin van Helden and like all sorts of different artists and singers and creatives and whatever. Like, how do you like collaboration? Do you like yeah. an element of control? How what's your flow in the studio when you're collaborating? No, I, lo- I love it. It's um, it it's an opportunity to uh, experience a different energy from mm-hmm. people, um, uh, a different vantage point new ideas new sounds but just sometimes you know it's just about look i i i've worked with lots of people and i i always emphasize this and i and i I wish that more people would do this i i arrange to get in a room with people and or or i you know we, we talk about talk about working or whatever or talk about meeting up and i have no intention on the end product it's not like that's not my focus. I, I'm, I'm far more focused immediately on making a connection with the person mm-hmm. and um, and the vibes feeling good. I, I don't want to work with people that I don't get on with. I don't want to work with people where the, yeah. um, for the goal of trying to be, be become more popular but, uh, or, you know, trying to tap into someone's uh, uh, market and reach. Yeah. I've got no interest in that. I, I, I want to work with people that I genuinely want to work with. And I really, really enjoy it. And, you know, um, uh, so really it's just about kind of like inviting people over and having fun and, you know, just trying to fuel the soul. I have a great, I have a great time here. I love, I love working with people. Yeah. Well, it's a good creed to have, you know, to stick by that and just feel, yeah, like you say, no end product, no, no foresight in terms of what you're going to be putting out. It's just about, yeah, just getting on with someone and seeing how you bounce ideas off each other. Well, I will say this as well. It's like, I mean, I, I understand like the perception that people have of like different artists and, you know, maybe what people, the perception that people might have of me. And I, I've always found it's quite a nice tool as well to expand the possibility of who i can actually get in the room with and who i can work with where i go i've said it to many people i'm just like look you know if you're down let's let's hang see if we you know maybe play some stuff in the studio to each other and if there's a vibe see what happens yeah and you know and uh that's happened on several occasions and, and and brought about some great results you know working with people that uh maybe people wouldn't expect me to mm-hmm. to work with yeah like a green velvet or, mm-hmm. or grimes for example grimes is a great example yeah it was uh it was uh you know and uh we had a great time in the studio we had a great time I had a great laugh yeah that's great you know and, and in terms of having that open mind you know you obviously work with new talent you run black book records you know that started in 2017 um you know and that was also before that you did rising records as well you know what um what was your ideas around starting a label what why did you want to do that initially it was just to release my own music um and then i mean soon after uh, I definitely started realizing, you know, there was a there was an ability to kind of help and be involved in other people's careers. You know, like um, there was like the, the 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 early involvement with um, seeing the potential in Dead Mouse was quite influential on me. When mm-hmm. I ended up getting sent a vinyl of his um, his his side project, BSOD. BSOD was uh, his collaboration. That was Joel and um, 
Steve Duda. Steve Duda is the creator of the the synthesizer, the, the VST serum, which everyone mm-hmm. uses. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. So Stephen, Stephen, and, uh, and Joel had made this this BOD, this track called BSOD, a bit sketchy. It was sent to me on vinyl, mm-hmm. and I contacted the distributor, and I was like, "What the fuck is this? I've not heard anything like this before." It stood out a country mile. The production was ridiculous. It was like it was just different. And I remember um, finding out who it was, reaching out to Joel, starting to speak to him online, sending music, realizing, "Oh my god, there's something really good here." Mm-hmm. Ended up going out and working with him for two weeks and realizing this whole situation and what the potential was with him. And I remember calling my manager at the time and uh, Dean and saying, you've got to sign this kid. You have to sign this kid. I, I, and I remember the quote as clear as day. And I said to him, you get it right with him and make you millions. And it was, that's, I, 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 told, I told Joel, you know, uh, there's an option here. Mm-hmm. And uh, they ended up working together. They're still together. Amazing. They made each other millions. <laughs> so that was influential on me. Yeah. That was influential on me because I, I look, I, I have, um, I'm able to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also had no, I had no financial involvement in that. Uh, an astute version of me probably could have had an involvement, <laughs> in that, but I didn't. Um, I never had any financial involvement at all. So, mm. um, but that was, uh, but it was influential. It was nice to feel like I could. Uh, I could be part of helping people. It made me feel good. Yeah. Same thing as like making me feel good about like getting feedback on my own music. I like that feeling. I like the feeling of helping people mm-hmm. and, um, and when they have talent and he, listen, he's a, he's a, he's a difficult human, but he's a bloody talented musician and he made a huge mark on the scene. And I'm very proud of that. Leading on to that, it was quite funny. You know, I was talking about this with him the other day, but I was with Skrillex, mm-hmm. and Skrillex really got his big break on Dead Mouse's label. So it's like full circle. Mm-hmm. It's like I feel like I, I said this to Sonny. I'm like, you know, you got to you got to ask yourself a question. Like, would, would would it all have worked the same way if if uh, if Mouse hadn't had that start and like you know linked up with Dean and kind of like had the trajectory that he had? And so I was like, so yeah, basically, I, I created Skrillex. <laughs> <laughs> but we you know we hang out now he's like he's one of my he's one of my closest friends mm. um uh, you know and it's, it's it's a nice feeling it's a nice yeah. feeling having sort of a even even if it's the smallest even if it's the smallest part I, I really enjoy that sort of stuff well it's the ripples isn't it you know you're making these connections and having this influence and you know like you say you just like to see people do well who have got talent and making good stuff still now to say yeah i mean it, it, anything you know just just as just as much as you know when they first started so it's Mm -hmm. it's nice nice feeling (laughs) i bet it is so uh, you've lived in america for like uh, how long have you lived there over 10 years Uh, uh, yeah 11 years now yeah yeah yeah. and you know what kind of prompted that move and how have you seen the scene change during your time living over there yeah so i moved out here i guess probably like the the sort of around like that edm kind of era Mm mm-hmm I felt like the scene was dying on its ass. I got caught up in the EDM thing right at the beginning. I started listening to people and like getting influenced on what I should be doing with my music and quite a miserable dark period to be honest with you. But um but I was getting a lot of work out in America. There was there was traction happening with my records and I, I really enjoyed the attitude out here of just felt like you could do whatever you wanted and it was kind of accepted. I, I, I enjoyed that. Mm. I just followed the opportunity. I felt like I'd done some really fun things in Europe, but I felt like this calling here. My wife, um, she lived in America most of her life. She felt comfortable out here. You know, yeah. happy wife, happy life. So, um, yeah, we came out here and made a go of it. And it's been it's been really fun watching that, watching the progression of a scene that, even though it's essentially it completely started here, um, it didn't continue here in a, in the way that in the way that the scene was adopted in Europe in the yeah. UK um, in in core of like youth culture uh, so it was nice to be involved in it and, and now seeing it in comparison to what it was like uh, you know 11 years ago it's grown up so much it's so yeah. deep it's so like uh, um, it's really it's just really popular so it's, it's really nice to and it's nice to be involved in it and do and do um, I'm honestly doing shows right now. I never ever thought I'd be doing, and I, I like and and having 
um, you know, influence in a way even that I, I never thought I'd ever have. It's unbelievable. It's mind boggling. It's great fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think looking at it from like a cultural perspective as well, like you say, it started in the States, um, like house music, dance music, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, then Europe kind of adopted it, morphed it into its own thing. And then, you know, the, obviously the EDM explosion, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it's kind of much maligned at the moment with like hindsight. However, you know, that for me, looking at it now is kind of like that was like the gateway drug for a whole new scene of people, like you say, who have grown up and they are into dance culture. And that's something that they never had before, really. Yeah, it's great. And, and uh, you know, it's, just, it's just the way it works. It's like I, I always believed in it. I, it's like I was I always believed that would happen. I, I, like, people's tastes change all the time. It's uh, um, I, I always had faith that it would it would it would it would grow like this. And um, yeah, it's, it's just great to be involved in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you, you've kind of alluded to it as well in like that, you know, there was a dark period or, you know, you were doing things that you weren't necessarily completely invested in yourself. And you've been quite open in like uh, other interviews and things that I've read about, you know, taking stock of your own sound and, you know, course correcting yourself back to a place where you felt more connected to the music. I mean, can you mm -hmm. tell us kind of just elaborate on that a little bit and why you did it and why? Yeah, it's so look, look, you know, it was it, it's if you were to ask me like what my what i'm most proud of in my career the thing that i'm most proud of in my career is that i had essentially for me had completely gone off track and and uh, departed from my core values and allowed external influence and 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 had i'd stopped using my my intrinsic like judgment at the core of my career and and i and the thing that i'm the most proud of is that i i recognized it adjusted it and i didn't have confidence in my own music as well i'd started uh i'd started exploring working with uh other engineers to try and get a sound it wasn't really ending up feeling like my own anyway of course corrected mm. i recognized i just knew i knew i was i was doing things that i wasn't i was just wasn't enjoying i was taking shows i wasn't enjoying i was i was playing some music i wasn't fully loving i was i was playing music for reactions rather than i was, I was, I was kind of like i was playing a game which mm. is not what i ever wanted to do i'd never wanted to play a game and anyway of course corrected I, I remember having this moment in uh i think i was in korea and i was playing a show and i was just like what the fuck am i doing and um i did i just had this moment i was like what the fuck am i doing i went to scotland so shortly after and i was i uh, went to my parents house and uh had a few days there and just like just kind of like mentally took stock trying to figure out what I was doing and just started you know making music that felt more connected to me again and that, that was like the bedrock of like, okay all right I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna course correct I'm gonna do whatever I can to get my career back on track and um I'd started working with a new manager by this point my current manager and we made a, a long-term plan on what I was going to do and what I wanted to be and where, where, you know, and uh, how I was going to do it. And we enacted it. Mm -hmm. and it's all happened. <laughs> no way. Tick, tick. All of it. Bar, like, bar none. And it's 20 times better than I ever expected. Well, yeah. and I'm, 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 really, I'm really proud of it. I'm really yeah. proud of it. I'm really proud of, like, I'm really proud of, um, I, I knew what, I knew probably what the right decision was to do. And the right decision was to go, sack it all off build a wall around it start a new project yeah that would have been the easiest thing to do and that's probably what i would have recommended anyone to do mm -hmm. but i was like nah this is my name this is my real name and i feel like this is a reflection on me and i really wanted to um i wanted to i wanted to fix it i wanted yeah. to i wanted to present things the way that I, that that, um, that i felt comfortable with so you know i, I did it and i i am genuinely i'm genuinely proud of it and uh you know I don't give a shit what people think about it because I'm happy with it. So. No, I mean, you should be proud because that's a really brave move to be like, right, because it would just be so easy just to be like, you know, even if you're on stage or at a gig or whatever, like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm playing music I don't really like, but it'd just be so easy just to continue doing that and getting kind of rewarded for it, but not like emotionally. And and, and this is the thing, you know, and I, I, I don't, like, that, that's been... 
you know over 10 years now i you know, i don't make decisions for i don't make decisions for um for money yeah. i don't make decisions for uh, i don't play like it, you're talking about that playing that game i just don't do it and 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 the and i don't do things to fit in either mm -hmm. i do things that fit for me that's a that's a big it's a it's a bit it's a big thing and i and I like and i and it, and it, it does it makes me it makes me happy and it makes me feel very comfortable with what i do because it, it intrinsically it's right for me what, yeah. I, what i do so yeah anyway sounds kind of deep but yeah no, it should be. You know, you're looking into yourself, and you're you're recognizing these aspects of your own personality that you want to you you know you want to hold dear to you, to yourself to move forward. It's it's, it's what we should all yeah. be doing more of, to be honest. Uh, right, I want to talk to you about um, more kind of modern times. Earlier this year, you dropped the VIP remix of Deceiver. Um, your collab with Green Velvet. You've already mentioned his name. I mean, this has been, this track has been a long time coming. I feel like on your, you know, every time I've seen it posted somewhere on a video or something like that, just the comments of people just begging for this tune. Um, you know, can you tell us about like the gestation of that track, why that version of it took so long to come out and why would now was the right time to kind of release it? It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. I had no intention of releasing it. I um, okay. During COVID, Chris, uh, my uh, my mate Chris Lorenzo um, was doing one of those drive-in shows, and he calls me up and he's like, "A drive-in show in a couple of days. I want you to make a VIP of one of your songs, make me a special version." I was like, "Fuck off, mate!" <laughs> Hung up the phone. And I was like, "Maybe I should give it a try. Maybe I'll try do something." And I I I was like, "Do you know what? I'll, I'll pull in the pull in the stems for for around Deceiver. I'll give it a go." And mm. um, I did that in an hour. It took a, it, it took an hour to knock up, and I was like, Do "You know what, sweet." I never, I've never, I've never touched it since. I never did anything else to it. And uh, I gave it to Chris, and he's like, "Mate, that version absolutely tore the roof off the place when he played it." And I'm like, "Okay, sweet. I'm gonna just uh, well, there's a nice little version that only me and you have." I gave it to Fish as well. Mm -hmm. It was just the three of us that had it, um, and uh, I actually forgot to give it to Curtis, like. For years, I only gave it to him like six months ago or something. I felt really, I, when I realized, I was like, oh shit, I should have really, like, it's really bad that I never sent it to him. But, um, sorry, Curtis. <laughs> and, uh, but I, anyway, I, you know, I've been playing it for years and I'm like, Do you know what? I've got, I've got a lot of, uh, I like having versions that only, that only, I only have to play because it's sort of, uh, yeah, listen it's a very difficult scene now there's so much music out there it's so easy to get most things that mm -hmm. that uh that are out there quite quickly yeah. um the only way that i can have any separation or, or give any separation for my live shows is to have things that no one else has and it's and it's normally involving things that i've made yeah. so i kept that as something to make my like make my sets different and unique um for a while but i was you know i just got to that point of like I've been working hard lately and I've got a load of new music that I'm making to, you know, to reinvigorate my, my sets from, in regards to the music that I'm, that I've made for my sets. And, uh, I was like, you know what, it's, it's time I can, I can give this up. So let, let, let people have for me, it reminded me of that kind of era, like, you know, we've talked about that progressive house era where there would be DJs that would have tracks, like a few would have like a copy of something and it would either never be released or, you know, it'd take years to come out. And if you wanted to hear that, you would have to hope that they played it when you went to watch them live. That's the unfortunate thing. We all want what we, we, all want what we can't have. Well, if I don't give it to anyone, no one can have it. So it's like, it, 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 you know, it creates some demand. It does work. All right. So um, I want to talk about Fisher as well. You've already mentioned him. And before we turned on the mics as well, you said that you're going to be flying out and seeing him in Vegas and you're going to catch up. You haven't seen each other for a while. You know, how did you guys first kind of meet? Because his kind of story and entry to the to the world of dance music is quite interesting. Obviously, he was a pro surfer. Yeah. Um, you know, what's yeah. your relationship? So, you know, we're, we're nothing alike, but just like just that's quite a uh, a common thing with some of the people that i'm closest with i'd say some of the the closest people um in my life would be chris lorenzo fish uh mickey slim they're all fucking nutbags and i'm not like that i'm a really chill and I, I i just really get on well with these crazy people and uh yeah, I met Fish through my manager uh, Brett. He was he was managing him as well. He was managing Cutsnake, and 
Um, that was a, that was the his project with um, Lee Sedley. Mm-hmm. Lee Sedley. And, uh, um, I met him and just got on really well with both of them. I, I, I love them. They're, they're like really, truly great guys. Really great guys. And um, love the music. And the energy is so, so refreshing. People are seeing that now. Mm. That, that, um, his energy is truly infectious. And, and uh, you know, the, <laughs> it's difficult to have a bad night out with Fish. It really is. He is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Unless he's a bad, unless he's in a bad mood and he's a fucking miserable, wretched cunt to be with. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, just like anyone. But he's he's brilliant. I, I love him, and um, you know, we just have we just have a great relationship. We're just friends, and he's yeah. he's massively helped me with my um, his opinions on my music and my you know what I'm doing. And even though I you know I've explained to you, I, you know, I'm quite decisive and i do things for myself and mm-hmm. you know it doesn't mean i don't have influence but i choose who you know i choose who influences me for yeah. sure and uh he, he's definitely one of them he's been he's been fantastic his energy's his, his energy's phenomenal anyway you know we all we all have the we have the same manager and um a lot of the same friends and colleagues and everything and uh yeah, it's just great. It's great. He's a he's a fantastic energy to have. And it's, 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 I'm 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 so happy for I'm so happy for how he's um you know how how things have progressed for him over the over the last few years. It's been phenomenal. And I the fact that I get to go up on stage with him as well and do these back to backs that like is one of our um it's actually him calling now. Um, <laughs> uh, it's one of our most popular things to to do yeah. our most requested booking yeah um you know we don't do it very often i just love i love going again up on stage and just having having a laugh with them it's fantastic it's the time of the interview where we do the house culture perfect playlist you've submitted five tracks based on our themes you can find the tr- playlist on spotify it's house culture perfect playlist everyone's submitted to this um and we always start the first theme is a catalyst tune something that opened your ears to electronic music got you into dance music you have chosen robert miles's children why did you choose that i was in northern ireland i was in school i don't know what was happening it was like one of those free periods or whatever and that song came on the radio and i just it mesmerized me i'll I'll never forget that feeling of first hearing that record that was that that was the first time i was like i'm i you know I, i i it just it lit something up inside of me. I think that song's magical. I still listen to it regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a phenomenal song. The story behind it's fantastic. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a truly inspirational piece of music. It deserves all the plaudits it gets. Yeah, but it was it was the gateway song for me to, to get into dance music. I love it. Perfect. And so I've asked you for a floor filler. You have chosen your own edit. Oh, well, I, did, I, I said my one, didn't I? I yeah. said... I said uh, I said uh, Prince Funk and Roll. That's right, yeah. This thing's a beast. But um, I can't release the bloody thing because of Prince. And yeah, uh, um, yeah. I've so I tried so hard to get this thing released um, before he passed. But um, everyone loved it, but couldn't get it past Prince. Uh. So, um, all, all the producers involved in the song, uh, the label, they all wanted, they all wanted to do it. Um, it's probably one of my favorite things I ever did. But anyway, yeah, High it praise. just absolutely goes off yeah every time i can play it anywhere and it works a treat so anyway great choice great choice uh okay a sunsetter you've chosen um your response uh ringo oh, yeah i don't know i just i like i love yoris i love his production i think um touches into that old uh prog kind mm-hmm. of um, prog vibe but i i just think he i he just tapped into a truly unique emotion on that song and i just i've played it a few times in settings like that i just think it's a stunning record ironically i could have chosen that record for the next one indeed for your next question yeah i could have i could have chosen that one yeah it's highly is... emotional yeah i mean yeah so a tearjerker <laughs> is the next one which uh and you've chosen do you want to say what you've chosen yeah yeah i've chosen uh, um massive attack teardrop <sighs> I'm quite determined for that song to be played at my funeral so that everyone sobs at my passing. Um, <laughs> I just think the song is absolutely fantastic. I, it's the If there was any song that I could wish that I had made, it's that one. I think it's phenomenal. The way that it crescendos up and uh, 
I can't remember the bit, like towards the end of the song. With the big strings, yeah. then it like, drops them. I love trip hop. It's fantastic. Yeah, so. so do I. It's, it's got that iconic video as well with the baby. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's mesmerizing that tune. Um, okay, a last tune. Crowd are asking for one more. You've sent me the link to this on SoundCloud, which is, I just saw the title of it and was like, oh, it can't be like a sample from Cypress Hill. And it's, yeah, it's, go on, say what it is. <laughs> it's the cause and effect bootleg of um, uh, Snatch My Crops. I don't even know what the original song is. Uh, like insane in the, the Brain, the, the, yeah. In the Brain, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, it's, yeah, and, then, and then, yeah, the sample is, cops come and try and snatch my crops. You play you play it, you, you, like, you put it on, and, and um, you know, it starts with the Cypress Hill song, and, 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 and I, I'm sure everyone's thinking, oh, my God, here we go. It's a fucking house DJ being ironic, playing a kind of hip-hop record or whatever, and... Um, and then it then then it switches up and goes into the house tempo and it's so much fun. It just like the way that it drops, the way that it switches up, and um, it just lights everyone up. It's a great way to send everyone off on their uh, send send everyone off on, uh, on a night out. At least for my sets, anyway. I love it. It's brilliant. As it should be. Yeah. And it's also cause and effect. Is uh, you know one half of that is uh, Chris Lorenzo, who's mm-hmm. one, of my, one of my best mates. So. It's time for the final question. We always ask our um, guests, this is the final question. We are house culture. You are part of the house culture podcast now. Um, The term house culture in terms of a scene, um, what's your view on it? And what do you think it's brought you in your life? I've always felt that like house culture is kind of um, openness. I I, I think of it as like a kind of like a community kind of thing. It's like um, I've always felt that it's quite an open open culture it's like um and, and quite inclusive as well I, I always i always enjoy the fact that um i felt like uh on the event side it was like this sort of like license a place and a scene and a license to kind of like uh be who you are and be who you want to be kind of thing and uh it was the you know that, that was that was the place where uh, you know i got to experience all different cultures and different sexualities and nor things like that and i i um i i value it i i value the fact that the the uh that that the scene is kind of like giving me exposure and understanding to all of these uh all of these side of things so that's what i think about when i think about house culture and I just think about that's honestly that's pretty that, that's the yeah. main thing that i think yeah. about i just that um like this sort of just bring it but this bringing the people uh, this uh this culture of bringing people together i love it it's uh the vibes are fantastic at house events i don't i don't have much else to offer them no (laughs) that's where my head yeah it's a perfect place to 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 finish on that's a great final thought so thank you for taking part thank you very much it was great fun great talking take care house culture that was great fun wasn't it Thanks to Chris for finding the time to chat to us ahead of him jetting over to Vegas to party with his good friend Fisher. I can only imagine what you guys got up to. It was also so interesting to hear about Chris's journey in discovering dance music from afar, especially by frequenting things like the Global Underground Message Board. I'm sure there are a few people listening right now who can remember that one, myself included. Chris's latest release, Beggin, is out now and is an infectious affair featuring the sultry pipes of singer-songwriter Aluna. Make sure you check it out in all the usual places. And if you can't get enough of sick beats like that, make sure you hit up the House Culture Perfect playlist on Spotify, which features not only Chris's stellar submissions, but also those of every other guest that has graced this show. Stick it on shuffle, turn the volume to maximum. Whilst you're there, please drop us a comment about this episode in the Q&A section under the episode description. Or if you're not on Spotify, leave us a review on Apple, some feedback on YouTube or your thoughts on Instagram. If you have enjoyed this episode, there really is no excuse. We love to hear from you and anyone who says something nice will get a shout out on a future episode. Which is why I'm saying a huge hi to the Instagrammer Real Rich Neeks, who got in touch to tell us that he thinks our podcast is excellent and how we should keep pushing because it is important to the culture. You said it, man. It's exactly what drives us on. Thanks for that wonderful message. Don't forget that you can get in touch with us the same way on Instagram by following us at HouseCultureNet or by following the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. And 
you haven't already, you can follow me directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Rave safe. and See you next time. House Culture. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.